0: welcome to the first episode of season two of grafted jewish roots of christianity i'm your host stephanie pavlantos today my guest is Dinah hodgson let me just tell you a little bit about Dinah. she is a speaker an author and ministry leader Um, she was originally trained as a critical care nurse but since the 1980s she has served in a Madrid of leadership roles within the local church. So Dinah received her master's and doctorate in Christian leadership and Christian counseling, as well as coaching and counseling from Primus University of Theology. So her passion is to walk as a disciple in the footsteps of Jesus, fulfilling her passion and call to minister to leaders and disciples in accordance with Isaiah 61. Dina has also ministered and spoken both locally, nationally, and internationally. So thank you, Dinah, for being here today. And let me just say, before she starts talking, because I'm going to give her an opportunity, but we're going to talk about the betrothal today, a Jewish betrothal, and how that kind of goes along with what we know in Christianity in our own churches, but in the Gospel. But she was the one who basically introduced this to me. I had never heard this teaching before her. So since then, I've done a lot more research and so has she. So we're going to kind of put our heads together and talk about that today. So Dinah, tell us a little more about yourself and your book, Up From the Ashes. Well, first
1: of all, Stephanie, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's really an honor And I have to say, I haven't really thought about this subject matter very much recently, but as I was looking at it again, the excitement of the Lord just welled up in me again, because it is such a wonderful topic. And I think for me, it really shows um, just how intricately woven the gospel story is And what Jesus said, we know what he said, and it's true, but it just brings it to life. It puts colors into the story. So I'm really excited to be talking about it again. Yeah, this year I published my first book, and I really attribute Stephanie to being the one that has prompted or encouraged. She took me to my first writer's conference. And Mm -hmm. so really, I had to go back to school to get it written. It's a book called Up from the Ashes, Reclaiming God's Original Design and Purpose for Your Life. It's basically a story of my life and how Christ has been redeeming me, um, sanctifying me and the process that he has taken me on to create that spotless, I'm far from it yet, but that spotless without a wrinkle bride that he has called us to be. And so the book is not only just my story, but also a blueprint, a scriptural blueprint for others who are looking to overcome trauma, childhood abuse, sexual abuse, like I experienced. So um, I'm really excited. And through my dissertation, I finished my second book, which will be starting the publishing process in the year. So I'm excited and
0: appreciative of the Lord and you. Thank you. Well, congratulations. It's exciting to publish a book and have that out there. When you pour your own story in it, it becomes a deeply personal book and the transparency that happens in that in in order to get your story and the message that the Lord has given you out there. So I appreciate that, especially But yeah, so today we're going to talk about the though. And I don't know how many churches really teach this. Like I said, Dinah introduced it to me Mm -hmm. and I was like blown away as I were working through it. And we were actually teaching it together. So I had to learn it first and then we kind of co-taught in a sense. But as um, she had an outline already made up and so I was studying the outline. I was going through each of the parts of it. So for me, it was just like, wow. And then I started reading other books and just started just even like what some of the Jewish authors write or some of the messianics might add to that because everything that God writes and everything God has put into being is multi-layered. Nothing's just like, oh, here it is. This is it. This is all you got to know. (laughs) And so many layers. And I think that's what you'll, you'll start figuring out and hearing as we, we talk and go through this. Let me ask you, I guess this is a great place to start. What made you first go and start studying the betrothal? Where did it come up in your life or in your study that you, you got there?
1: I think it started back when the Lord first started talking to me about intimacy and intimacy mm. with him and that whole topic and Song of Solomon. Honestly, being one that was abused, uh, intimacy was very challenging for me. So I initially took off running emotionally mm. from the topic. And then about a month later, I was like, where are you, Lord? I just didn't sense his presence. And I I just love when he impresses you with things. And it's, well, where did you go? So we can really run in our hearts away from the Lord. And so I then started running towards it and trying to learn as much as I could about intimacy first. And it led me to a wonderful ministry, International House of Prayer, which was founded by Mike Bickle. And I took a course on the Song of Solomon. And then he also did another course talking about much of what we're talking Mm. about, the marriage ceremony and just the comparisons. So he was really the first person that I learned it from. And
0: it just
1: ignited my heart.
0: Yes. And I can see why. And I hope that's what our listeners hear today. It's like the excitement of it and the excitement of understanding it and even relates back to Mary and Joseph and why that betrothal that they were involved in that their own life and being pregnant before she actually consummated the marriage with mm-hmm. him and and how all that came to be. It just fits right in to the story of Jesus birth, but then it doesn't stop there and it keeps going on and on. And that's what makes it so beautiful. It doesn't stop at one area, one part and for me, so I'll I'll give this little tidbit that I had learned. So when I started reading some books on it, and maybe I can find the author of this particular book, but it was Lost in Translation is the name of the book. And he actually wrote that in Revelation 3.20, when it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, that that was the first part of the betrothal as far as the husband or the the man who wanted to end up with this woman he and his father go to the door of her home and he knocks on the door and basically she has a choice whether she's going to open the door or not and if she opens the door and lets him in they have a dinner together in which they hammer out basically the two families hammer out this marriage contract and so that's exactly what he's talking about in that verse. Like, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that, and if she doesn't, then he goes away and he doesn't come back. And so it just shows you, even there, that first part of the believer—you know, the heart of somebody—that God is, Jesus is knocking at that heart. And that's how we always use it in in terms of a saving relationship of inviting Him into our heart. But it starts with the betrothal.
1: Yeah, and. Even um, once you start seeing it, you see it everywhere in scripture. Mm -hmm. So I did a sermon once on Genesis 24 and Abraham sending his servant, his trusted servant, who represents the Holy Spirit, out to find a bride for Isaac. And we know the story. He went on a journey and through divine circumstance found Rebecca. We see there the father, the first part of this betrothal is the father going out. Well, instead of it being Abraham, it was his trusted servant because he couldn't go. And so he goes out and was seeking a certain bride from his family Uh, We see that the father goes and meets typically with the father of the bride. In this case, it was the brother and with Rebecca. Then it's interesting because there's so many components of that betrothal. And it's hard for us to understand that in our Western mind because we think of our Betrothal as getting engaged. And it's the man goes to, you know, his love and uh, asks her to marry him. And then they exchange a ring, or even now, a lot of times people don't, then they are engaged, but how many engagements do we see are broken? And the difference is, is betrothal in the Jewish custom meant you were married. You were actually married and you had to get a divorce if you wanted to break off the Mm. relationship. Uh, And then they would uh, have a cup. It would start with the parents, but then the bride always had to say yes, you know, that she would agree or not. And we see that with Rebecca. They asked her. Will you go with him, with the servant to marry Isaac? And she had to say yes. And we liken that to
0: Mm -hmm. us.
1: We have the Father God who sends the Holy Spirit on his behalf to have us marry or receive Jesus as Mm -hmm. our bridegroom.
0: And we have to say yes first. Isn't that beautiful though? It's just beautiful to think of it. The Holy Spirit, as he comes and he penetrates our heart, or or at least tries to penetrate our heart with and yeah, we say yes, we say, This is what I want. I am surrendering. And and in a sense, that is what the bride does. She surrenders herself to her husband because she gives up her name. She gives up her home. She gives up so much and you, you may be hit on that, but yeah, there's a surrendering of oneself mm-hmm. and also one's stuff <laughs> and even your identity in a way, mm-hmm. because you're giving up that name that you had for us, especially in the biblical times, they were the daughter of, or the son of, but we actually are giving up that right mm-hmm.
1: The other thing, and and this is not this is just my musings, uh, because they did write out a contract, so there were words. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking. Our my music teacher is Jewish, and he was talking about mm. his framed contract that he has when he and his wife got engaged, betrothed, and that now they're quite the works of art, but I started thinking about it. And when we have the Holy Spirit working on, on us, he starts bringing the truth, the word of God to us. And the word of God is the contract. That's my musings of that part. I don't know if that's true or not. It was interesting because the word betrothal means purchase. And so it goes to talk about that Jesus was the gift that the father gave to purchase us. Mm. And they drink a cup of wine to seal the deal. And Jesus's blood represents the mm. wine. Um, So it's
0: such a beautiful picture of what Jesus did
1: for us.
0: I was watching a TV program. And what I'm going to is covenant, the word covenant, because we often don't understand exactly what that means because we see it represented in the the old testament or the hebrew scriptures but mm-hmm. we don't take it as seriously let's put it that way we just we don't see it as something so serious but but one time i was i was watching this program and at the mm-hmm. very last episode the couple in the show had gotten married and they wrote their own vows and it's funny because a vow is a serious thing in scripture and these vows weren't vows at all. They were more or less, I love you because I love you when you did this. I love Mm -hmm. you how you make me feel. I love you because of this and that. And I was really struck by that. I'm like, oh my goodness, those aren't vows at all. Those aren't till death do us part. Those aren't in sickness and in health. No, it's like, It leaves a loophole that I can leave when things get too rough or I can leave when I find somebody better. There's all Mm -hmm. these loopholes in there because as long as you're making me feel this way, then all is good. But that's not how a covenant works. You want to explain or kind of unpack a covenant a little bit? If anybody can take
1: a course on covenants, it is mind blowing because you realize how important covenants are to God and that he would Mm. never go back on a covenant that he made. And there are certain components, which I did not look up, that you will see in every covenant that he makes. And so mm. one of them with Rebecca and Isaac that Abraham made with his servant he put his hand on his thigh underneath the garment and that was an act it's kind of like a handshake used to be for us. You know, a handshake was everything if you shook on it then that w- that was as good as it was happening. And so the other thing of a covenant is there was blood shed. And Mm -hmm. so as you look through the Old Testament, every covenant that God made, there was shedding of blood. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at the fact of the betrothal with in the Jewish ceremony, Mm -hmm. the cup meaning blood was shed in this covenant. And so now with Jesus his blood was shed. And so there is no way that God would ever go back on the covenant that he set through Jesus
0: Christ. Because it actually means in the sense that if this covenant is broken, what we just did to this animal may it happen to me. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like that serious. That may I be I will be like this animal cut in two if I break mm-hmm. this covenant. And a covenant wasn't broken until one of the covenant makers or the person who made the covenant with you died. Mm -hmm. And since we have an eternal king, Mm -hmm. he's not gonna break that covenant. Yeah, it's never gonna happen. And we often and, and this may be a little bit off subject, but but there's no change. You know, the the everything that the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He he didn't change, he doesn't change, he doesn't he won't change and the covenant the messianic covenant that he made and everything will go on because he's eternal and it will go on forever so it's it's really a beautiful thing and it's very but it's also a very serious thing it's also a very meaningful thing because you know marriage is meant to be the covenant that god had with people and with israel and with us through his son and covenant doesn't go away. And and I actually read where our Bibles, we call them Old and New Testament, the different section. But in reality, it should be covenant and renewed covenant because a testament can be challenged. A will and testament can be challenged, but a covenant cannot be. It can't be challenged. It's forever. And the same goes with the Lord gave us in his word. And so, yeah, there's so many facets to it that um, are very beautiful, but also are very deep and serious, I think, that kind of help us see the heart of God, but the seriousness of God.
1: And the thing that I think of right now with Covenant, looking at the book of Hosea, where mm-hmm. he God called him to marry a prostitute and... Called him to be faithful to her. And God was revealing mm-hmm. how he is faithful to all of us, even when we go and turn to other things, that he is showing covenant in that book by showing, I am not going to leave you. And that's how serious it is. He, he cannot go back on his mm-hmm. covenant, nor would he want to. He loves mm-hmm. us so much. And I think what we forget is that he's Mm -hmm. so excited for his son to have a bride, just as Abraham was with Rebecca Mm -hmm. and is so excited, you know, for him to have the fulfillment of us being together.
0: Right. And there was a bride price Mm -hmm. in which they determined when they sat down at that table and hashed out the parts of that contract that you mentioned. And that bride price was decided by the families, right? The two of them decided what that would be. And then everything that the husband, like, is very interesting because whatever he was to do was written in this contract. It's almost like a prenup in a sense um, because everything that he would do he wrote down and everything, his expectations were written down, even to the point, I think, if I can remember, but even to the point, like how many children or, you know, whatever, they might even discuss those things, but they would discuss where they were going to live. But maybe you could touch on that too, because Mm -hmm. where did they live?
1: That is the interesting thing, because when we are married, we go and live with our spouse but they did not. So one thing I wanted to touch on before we went there was just the bridegroom would go away with his father and he would continue to live with his father and the Mm. bride would live with her family. So can you imagine back in those days, because it was unknown how long that was going to be for, can you imagine the bride going, well, well, how do I know you're really going to come back? You know, are you going to come back for me? And so the groom would often leave a gift to say, here, this is my assurance that I'm going to come back. Well, in Christ, we have the the present of the Holy Spirit that is talked about in John 14. But that mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit was the assurance, the gift that the bridegroom Christ left for his bride to say, I'm coming back, but I'm leaving you this gift until I come back. And I love that. And so the, the groom would go back with his father and he was to start building the habitation for he and his bride, and often it was a room or a little house Mm -hmm. next to his father's house. We have the scripture that talks about Jesus going away and that his father is, he is building a place, a mansion, a house um, for the bride. And so, that is what uh, there is such a parallel. So he's busy preparing. That's what the groom would do is prepare this place
0: to bring his bride. Right. And I have that verse. If you'd like me to read, I can. John fourteen two. in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you prepare a place for you and when i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you t- to myself that where i am you may be also
1: very exciting
0: mhm so that's yeah that's the verse you were referring to um yes. now i've heard it two ways because but it was more of a room that he would that they The bridegroom would go and build a room. So that might be where you were going.
1: That's where the groom would go. But then the bride would go home with her family. But it wasn't like she was doing nothing. It says that she was then to prepare and get ready. They didn't have any idea when the groom would come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, oftentimes it would be up to a year And I was reading that one of the reasons why it was so long, they wanted to make sure that the bride was pure and that she did not go with another man and Mm -hmm. so that she was a virgin, which is just so fascinating because... That is what the Lord is doing now. He is making sure that his bride is going to be pure and without a spot and wrinkle that we learn about in First Thessalonians. But we are told that in Matthew 25, it talks about the parable of the 10 virgins. And so it talks about the virgins who are to be preparing and they are to have oil in their lamp and to be ready. They had no idea when they would be coming. And I was reading that oftentimes it might be um, after the Sabbath. So that would place it after sundown on a Saturday. And so they would have to be ready with oil in their lamps. And we know that the oil in those lamps represents the Holy spirit.
0: Mm -hmm. So to
1: be ready and filled as we're told in Ephesians five to be filled with the Holy spirit. Um, And I love that, you know, we're seeing how Mm -hmm. the Hebrew is just so full and gives us such more deeper meaning as you have brought out so often in your teaching that being filled means mm-hmm. to continually, continually just allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Um, but one of the things I saw as well was that, you know, when we think about brides, You just can't, back then you couldn't go out to the store and buy your wedding dress or your wedding garments. So they had to be busy about making their garments and the things that they needed for the wedding. Um, and that really speaks to how we are to be busy. You know, it it goes into the peril of the talents like We are to be busy with what we are meant to be doing with the talents that we have. Be busy when the, when Jesus comes back for us, when the bridegroom comes back. We don't want to be sleeping like some of those virgins who just kind of let their lamps go out. We want to be filled and fully preparing. when he comes back and it was interesting one of the other things that often the brides were so serious about preparing for their life with their groom they would be so focused they pushed away friends different things that would keep them prevent them from being wholeheartedly preparing for their upcoming marriage I thought about that and thought about that is such a picture of what God is calling us to do, to push away anything that hinders us from preparing for our soon coming king. The other thing is one never knew, as I mentioned, when the bridegroom was going to come. And the bridegroom didn't even know in the Jewish uh, custom Only the father of the groom knew when he would, he would make sure everything was ready. And when he saw that everything was ready, he would then tell the groom, okay, go get your bride. We know from scripture what Jesus said. I think it was in John 14 that you were reading that They don't know that, he doesn't know. Nobody knows the time or hour when he will return. Only the father does. And then they're told, well, then the bridegroom would tell his his side of the bridal party. And he would tell them and they would yell, behold, and pronounce that he was coming. And they would blow the shofar. And so we see in scripture right. too, when our Lord comes back, they are going to proclaim from heaven, behold, the bridegroom is, is coming and there will be a chauffeur or a horn blown. It said in scripture, mm-hmm. then he goes, you know, and they're singing and can you imagine, you know, it's such a celebratory time for mm-hmm. him to go back and finally get his bride, the excitement. And I can just, you know, you can tangibly feel like what that would be like. And if we think about it with the Lord, you know, him coming back and the excitement he will feel. I don't think we often recognize that he wants to come back too. He really wants to come and, Mm -hmm fulfill the words and his contract with us. But as much as we want to be excited, you know, and we are excited for him to return.
0: The, I had read somewhere that if the bridal party wasn't prepared, like like we see in that parable of the 10 virgins, if they weren't prepared, then when the uh, bride and groom went into to have, they actually had like a party the night before after he came and got her. And, and that was the other thing he, when he comes, he doesn't come right to her door. She has to come out. She has to be watching and waiting for him. So when she hears the shofar, when she hears the call, she comes out and meets him. And then they go back to where they're going to have the ceremony and they have a big party. And it's usually mm-hmm. from what I understand, it's just the, the wedding party is all that's there. But if anybody's late, the doors are closed and that's it. They don't get in. What, right. if, the, if you don't come with them, then the doors are closed and locked and you don't get in. Uh, so I thought that was very significant because they were, they had to be waiting and watching. And if he came and she didn't come, then he left without her, basically. There wouldn't be a ceremony, but he didn't stay. He didn't stay and beg. He, he he walked away. He left. And that was the importance that she had to be ready and waiting for him to come back. And that blowing of the shofar, there's a Jewish feast, Rosh Hashanah, that is all about the sh- blowing of the shofar. And there's many messianics who do believe that that is the feast that the Lord returns to this earth because of the blowing of the shofar every feast was based on um, the full moon except for that one and it was based on the new moon so they had a watch for the new moon and when that sliver of light showed up in a dark sky or even you know once the clouds moved and they were able to see it it was called the hour day and hour no one knew because they had to watch and they didn't know exactly when they were that was going to sh- show up. So and then the trumpet would be blown when they saw it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So all of that, just how it all comes together, again, it's that layer upon layer and layer that makes it so rich, like you said, and deep and meaningful. It's not just um, oh yeah, he's gonna return and And we don't know any more than that, you know, we can see it played out in the betrothal between a man and a woman, a bridegroom and his bride. I think that's why he gives us those the stories that we read, because there's always a deeper meaning to them. They're not just stories. They show us his character. They show us more about who Jesus is and why he did. And I mean, even like you said, the giving of the gift, he left his bride a gift to prove he was coming back. And that's the Holy Spirit for us. He's that deposit. And it's all just hand in hand. It all works together. And it's all beautifully laid out. Like he knew it was all going to happen this way, right? (laughs) So funny
1: how he did know. Yes. Yeah, the ceremony that I was reading again about the feast. Mm -hmm. And we see that in, in Matthew 22. So there was a marriage ceremony and a feast. And there's questions as to time frame of what each one will mean. I saw, you know, some feel like the ceremony will be when he comes back. And then it's a very, it's up in heaven because the ceremony would, they would go back to the father's house. And it was, as you say, it was quieter with fewer people. And they would have a ceremony, but Mm -hmm. then after that would be the big, huge feast. And it was public and everybody could come. Many have likened that to maybe that's when the millennial reign is. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a big question. We don't know, but it's just things that, you know, are pointing and help us know there is a Mm -hmm. bigger scenario than you know, often we think.
0: And I think that for me, I remember when we talked about the 10 virgins, and I I just want to go back to that, because again, I thought of something, but I know that when you were explaining that, when we first did this many years ago, we were actually teaching it to um, teenagers. We were teaching it to the high school group of girls, I guess. And of course they knew very little about it. And so I remember you explaining the 10 virgins and it's like, well, why weren't they ready? Why? And, and questioning in my own mind, why weren't they ready? Why did they not have it ready to go? Like the, you know, five didn't have it, five had it. And what was the difference between these two groups and why some were ready and some weren't. And, and I remember it was just like, the Holy spirit spoke to me and said, Everybody thinks they know when it's going to happen and they think they're looking for signs. They're all looking for signs, which we do have signs in scripture, but, and again, not to get off on a tangent, because I don't want to go into, you know, whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I don't want to go there. But, but when we get too caught up in the signs, we're not going to be ready because, oh, well, this hasn't happened yet. So I don't have to quite Worry about him returning. This hasn't happened or this hasn't happened. And I think it's easy to get caught up in Mm -hmm. signs. And in some cases, he's given us all the information we need in our, in the word to know exactly what he expects and what to expect in, in some sense of the word. I think the bottom line is we need to be ready. We need to keep looking like we don't know when it's going to happen and not get caught up in signs and times and Anything that might take us our attention off of waiting for a bridegroom to return.
1: Yeah, I think that's so well said. And I think, you know, as I was thinking about, you know, well, what can somebody do to prepare? What does that mean in today's day? Mm -hmm. I think about what I read about how people pushed away anything that would distract them. Um, and in my book, I talk about idols and the simple things that idols can be, you know, whether it can be just, it can be your children, it can be your dog or your cat, it can be reading books and, you know, it can be so many things that distract us. And I'm not one for saying Mm -hmm. we shouldn't, you know, do things that are fun too, and that the lord doesn't want us to have fun but it's where is our focus where is our relationship with the lord because when i think about those the parable of the talents and the one who was scared of the of his master and there's many of us that might not have that deep relationship with the lord and so they don't really know him and i know personally Because of my background, I thought God was this really mean. He was going to like hammer me anytime I did something wrong. And I think that's why this makes so much, it's so exciting when you really understand the depths of scripture and who he really is and allow him to take all those filters that you have about him whether you think he's a mean master or whatever you think about God, that it helps us to really see him for who he is and to push into the relationship. So a couple things I was thinking about was just making sure our oil lamps are full, making sure that we continually are asking and referencing the Holy Spirit. Grow your mm-hmm. relationship with the Holy Spirit. And allow Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, to really get rid of the junk in our hearts, you know, that hold us back from him. Get rid of those blemishes and those stains that keep Mm -hmm. us bound. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. preparing our wedding garments, you know, just really be in the word of God, be Worshipping and doing all the things we know that will encourage us and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus as Hebrews tells us to.
0: Very good points. Very good. Yeah. I think that you're, you're right in all of those things because I think that our focus, our heart, getting healing, um, forgiving others, it's all part Of helping ourselves in the sense of bettering our relationship with God, because whatever we have between us and him Mm -hmm. is going to hinder us and we need to be that pure bride. We need to be and to throw off everything that hinders us you know like like hebrews does say there in hebrews 12 that we need to throw off everything that hinders us and because it's, it's not a sprint it's a marathon and it's it's waiting and working and pursuing and all those things we don't work for salvation but we work because of it We work because we obey and we do where we we go, where we're called and we do what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. So that was great. I appreciate it.
1: We do it because we love.
0: Yes. That's
1: the thing. We love the bridegroom. Mm
0: -hmm. We do it for him. Um, And
1: the last thing I thought about was it said that the woman would create her garments and she would have to put them on. And so I think sometimes we erroneously think, okay, God will just clean us out. But we have an active part in that. We have to do it. Just like when Lazarus came out of the tomb, it was people, Jesus said, take the grave clothes off him. Other people had to help him. So, you know, we are not just, there's lots for us to do, and we have to be active about
0: doing it. Very good point. So, well, thank you. I appreciate your time. And thank you. (laughs) I enjoyed the conversation, so I hope others do too. So, um, it's a great subject. And I think one that who's ever listening could do research, can find books. Like I said, there's a book called Loss in Translation that I learned so much from. He goes into a great deal of detail about everything everything that they did and um we hit a lot of good topics and good points but there's a lot of things that go even deeper and um you just don't have time or else you'd be listening for a couple hours so yeah <laughs> so yeah so we want to uh try to wrap this up but i appreciate you so much being here and um giving us uh, well, you so your much. understanding of scripture your wisdom and your knowledge and so thank you thank you Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at GraftedJewishRT. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.